0: And we're back. Welcome to episode four of the Friday Physio Confession podcast with me, Martin, and my co-host, Matt. Now, for those of you who have been listening to the first three episodes, thank you very much for that. I bet some of you liked it, maybe not, but either way, we appreciate it. And now, today, I don't know what today is. That's not that doesn't matter. What what's you been up to, Matt? Lately, uh, I've been I've not
1: been too well recently. A little bit of COVID, a little bit of a nasty cough. Um, yeah, obviously wasn't there for the last episode, so no. didn't know whether I was uh,
0: going to get the invite back or not. But... Well, Ali is you know he's a pretty decent guy. You know. <laughs> well, but, I've uh... decided
1: decided not to listen to the last episode. All through more for avoiding social media for a little while, but I'll uh, rejoin the social media train. Uh, yeah. Re- I'll reassure you of that.
0: Yeah, all right. Let's not rip into, <laughs> into recent uh, social media stuff. But, yeah, a big, big, huge thank you to Alistair Beverly, who joined me for the last episode. I gave him 30 minutes warning. And That's was impressive. Like, yeah. I, yeah.
1: Dropped it. I dropped you really late on, didn't I? I was just thinking... Nah, not tonight. <laughs> and he uh, stepped up to the plate, and I hear he performed.
0: So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so always a performer. He's like, you know what, how tall that man is? Oh, really? Go on. He's like he's a big man. I think,
1: yeah, he's a if big he, lad. If he's if he's four foot two, now you're really selling him short.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. He's a he's a big one. He's a massive dude. And oh, yeah. when I get over to, to the UK next time, we're gonna hit uh, hit him up and. I will not be the one standing next to him. <laughs> How tall so, are you? I don't know that. Um you well, I'll give you the measurement in the morning when you know stretch out.
1: <laughs>
0: so <laughs> Sounds- now I'm one I'm 180, you know, we used centimeters. So that's five eleven
1: props. Yeah, just just under six foot.
0: Just yeah.
1: under six foot. So,
0: but I'll, I'll shrink to a couple of centimeters during the day. So <laughs> I'm just a normal, yeah, normal boy. I think it's my. I blame it on my Sami heritage. So that's that's, but so I haven't been up to much really. I've written, trying to write my exam paper and failing miserably at that yet again. I've written down some words. It's just. It's just shit. But uh, I'm going to hand it in. Yeah. And uh, I'm just... You know, when you first started uni, it was like, I need to get good grades. And I, I'm trying to do my best here. I'm, I'm working for it. And now I'm just like, how yeah. bad can I do this and still come through? Yeah. <laughs> That's my main, main I mission. I
1: there becomes a real mentality shift once you're working clinically but still doing oh. academia and i think it becomes uh what is the minimal amount i can do here to get through this so it looks yeah. like it, it hasn't been written by one of these plagiarism websites off the internet and still yeah. managed to to get through
0: oh man so, i actually i sat there for like one hour of thinking maybe i could <laughs> hire a chinese man to write this for me <laughs> or even better <laughs> some Asian lady that just aced this <laughs> or but I decided against it and and uh, I thought well the the people that are going to read this are the same people that I talk with in lectures and, and stuff and they'll figure me out
1: how was Didn't your um, how was your undergrad study what were your exams like at undergrad level over in Norway oh. about, is it a three it's a three year course did you say
0: yeah, 3 years and and, uh, and one year just rotations. What was the first year of exams like? Oh, it was hell. It's like remember we had a a, a physiology exam, written exam for a few hours that was pretty basic and and, and okay. But we had this anatomy exam in, in person where you walked in and you had six envelopes in front of you and you pick you picked one. And I remember this very much because the first, my friend, my uh, she went in first, and she came back out crying, just oh, panicking, God. because the envelope she had picked was describe the the um, development of, of of hands, muscle nerves, and and grip from oh, you know from newborn to to <laughs> you know. Oh my word! I, you. I fail that now. Yeah. Oh my God. that was insane. So I remember just panicking, just <laughs> definitely panicking myself. And, and oh, oh man! man. I,
1: rem- and, I remember yeah. my friends. My friends ridiculed me because we had our exams, and what we would do in the UK is you would your fellow students would be the model for you in the exam. Don't know if you had a similar yeah. concept. For some so exam, yeah. Someone on your course, one of your course mates, would be there as the they'd already answered the questions and now it was their turn to model for the exam. So they'd be lying there on the on the plinth. And the question for me was like, oh, This is year one. We'd been there like a month, and I I really hadn't been there. And it was like locate the calcaneus. And I was like, The calcaneus? <laughs> oh my word. And I was <laughs> like all over the shoulder, going down the <laughs> elbow. And, I was like... and then the next question was like, um, pointed to the calcaneus. And when I obviously wasn't getting it, there's it like, what, what's this called? And I was like, I don't know, Capricorn. <laughs> and I was like, going through his star signs. <laughs> and they were like, what? <laughs> I remember calling Sartorius, Sagittarius. <laughs> my oh, course man. mates were yeah. just in fits of laughter. And- <laughs> But you get, under exam conditions, oh, there's no excuse for that, but under exam conditions, everything yeah. can just go to pot. I remember them asking yeah. me what, what tendon attaches the calf muscle to the heel, and I probably knew that since I was about 10 years old, and I was like, uh, uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. You get, you, yeah, you get the brain fog, it's insane. Yeah, just basic things that you know and... They just yeah. drift away in an exam. The
0: worst part when you're done, right? And you remember the questions you you, you struggle with. And you mm-hmm. go outside and you, you kept on walking. And you're probably walking home or something. And you're just like, fuck, this is yeah. the answer. And you, yeah. all you want to do is run back inside. And say, I know it. I know it. But you can't do yeah. that. I remember this one, uh, my friend, one of my best friends at uni he went when uh lena the one the uh, the person that got the hand questions came out and we discovered shit we actually need to know this stuff as well so we did a, a quick recap of of uh infant development in in uh, gross motor skills mm-hmm. and we like 10 minutes that and um uh, I had fairly good control of that. So I kind of went through it with him and the, the cheeky bastard went in, got that question from gross motor skills. And he, he just went flying with information, everything he had from 10 minutes before. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he had a special kind of accent as well. And one, the, one of the sensors was, uh, what softener. So she didn't understand a word he said, Like, yeah, imagine this really posh London lady and you got a thick Irish or thick Scottish accent and he's just laying on the floor and he was rolling around and talking and he's a charmer, he's a real charmer and and he made a laugh and and she actually said this in the the exam, I don't understand a word he's saying but I like it, I like the sound of it and it's probably right. Yeah, so he, he got good grades. The cheeky bugger! Oh man,
1: now, exams are a funny thing. Exams are—I've mm-hmm. um, always thought that from being at school up until university. It's always a case of short-term memory, regurgitate it onto mm-hmm. a piece of paper or out of your mouth. And surely there has to be a better way of examining this sort of stuff. It's just. It's never seemed fair to me. So it seemed like it's a a memory test as opposed to a test of knowledge.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's always why I I quite enjoyed uh, oral exams more than written ones. Yeah. Uh, Because I I could always, you know, kind of work my way through it. and, and, And quite early on when I went to school, one of my teachers said that, we had two sensors there as well. We came up in oral exams back then when I was 14, 15. And he just told me, remember the, the local sensor, there's always two sensors, right? One from outside and one from the school itself. like, my job in this exam is to be on your team. So I'll try to ask, when I see you're struggling, I will try to ask the questions in a way I know you can answer. And so so I always have that in the back of my head when I'm popping into world exams. So I'm always quite calm and, and and collected. At least I think I am, until it starts, right? Then it shuts down completely. What's your name? Susan. How old are you? Sixty nine, you know. <laughs> yeah. But but anyway, now back to the episode. That's a little bit of, of exam failing. I think we could probably had a full hour of that oh, different sure. exam stories. Yeah.
1: Let me, I'll tell you one other thing about when I was doing my master's, I did a master's study in, um, pain management. And one of the first module I did my master's at the same undergraduate establishment. So I went there and the course, I forget the, I forget the title of the module biopsychosocial psychosocial aspects of pain or something like that. Yeah, And, the exam was an oral exam, but they told us that the examiner wouldn't be one of the lecturers. It would be someone from the general public. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, it's different. That's not what I'm used to. I'm used to doing these exams with my course mates. So yeah. I went in and it was like a role play type thing. And it was like, this patient has been taking opioids for a long period of time. And you're going to have a discussion with them using different techniques about seeing if you can promote behavior change and think about coming down off this medication and I was like yeah that's okay I went in there and I didn't know that these people from the general public were like semi-professional actors and this lady (laughs) just absolutely started bawling her eyes out she was squealing she was like there was genuine tears and I was looking at her like is this real? Is she actually a patient? Oh Jesus! It was the best acting I've ever seen. But there was people in, like, doing their exam, like maybe about two, three meters away, and I was thinking, "Shh, calm down, calm down, <laughs> You're disturbing everyone else." It was a real, really ramped up the uh, the challenge compared to undergrad level. Oh, Jesus, you got an A
0: lister on, yeah, Oscar yeah. nominee. She yeah, she was
1: impressive. I'll never forgive oh, her. <laughs>
0: That's a hard one, yeah, to be mm. in that sort of of, of fake situation and yeah. dealt with something that really feels real.
1: Oh yeah, so, but that's uh, so, it was it was harder than your day to day clinical experiences because I thought. Yeah. You're fabricating this, but you're doing such a good job and you've got a comeback for everything I'm saying. And I was yeah, I felt like I'm starting to rot heads with this person, and that was definitely not the goal of the module. So
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's a if, oh that's a tough situation, is it? That yeah,
1: oh, of course. I think that, that leads us quite nicely into what we were gonna talk about, this uh biopsychosocial model that seemed to be something yeah. which I picked up and ran with from quite early on in my degree probably because um my lack of knowledge of anatomy led me more towards <laughs> these uh, <laughs> these avenues but i do wonder i wonder whether it's become more topical in terms of more and more clinicians seem to coin the phrase psychosocial factors often leaving out that biological factors do you think that's an element of Not being comfortable with the science or do you think it's something else because it gets broken down into the psychosocial model and that bio can get neglected
0: yeah it can of course we've always had people talking about the pendulum swinging too far but i never Mm -hmm. i never really thought that but but it could be i i can only speak for myself when when i really loved when i started to to learn about this and and see everything because it made me feel more useful than mm-hmm. just memorizing the bio stuff mm-hmm. and and so it, it for me it became more probably more it's like a handfast thing it was more something i could understand you know i, I come from a sociology background with my mm-hmm. social studies and everything. And we talked about the perception of reality as, uh, uh, as leading into everything, every experience you have, the life you've learned, you had, and, and your, your parents, and the resources around you, your social life, your every factor plays into how you view and percept reality. So it was kind of making sense to me in another way. Mm-hmm. And and well, yeah, I'll I'll admit that I sometimes uh, can quite be forgetful of the bio, but but I think I think indeed, yeah,
1: what you're describing there, though, is you seem to have at least a, a basic grasp of some of those principles, and I think unfortunately, lots of people don't have that privilege, and they've never really been exposed to some simple. S- Sociological type things or psychological oh. type principles, and they often then find themselves accusing patients and passing the blame back to them that it's psychosocial yeah. problems that mean that this patient isn't going to get better any better. And then that is simply it's stress, or they read yeah. their medical history and say, well there's anxiety and depression, so of course yeah. they're uh, they're not going to get any better. That's why they've got this pain." I remember yeah. a patient that I. Uh, that I saw not long ago, probably a year ago. She got referred through to me. I read the referral. She was about 34, overweight. I could read this from the referral. I pieced all of this together in my mind straight away from the referral. She was taking antidepressant medications. Uh, She was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. She was a single mother of four. She smoked. She did not work, and she was going to see me with back pain. Uh, without any leg symptoms and i was quick to judge that straight off the bat Mm. thinking this this is in my musculoskeletal triage role i was thinking there's nothing at play here screened all the red flags with her absolutely nothing and she pled and pled with me for an mri scan and by the end of it i ended up saying to her we'll do it we'll do the scan that'll get the buy-in and we'll, we'll get someone to work with you and get this better. Came back and there was multiple fractures at multiple levels. And I was there oh. thinking, I have judged this so quickly off the bat with yeah. no trauma or anything. I don't actually know the outcome of that case and why that developed. But if I just had my, maybe going back a, even maybe four or five years before that and had my psychosocial hat on, I probably would have been so arrogant as to say, nah, there's no need for the scan, but listening to the person in front of you and that experience kind of opened my mind to it. it doesn't mean that I now scan absolutely everyone who comes in with back pain, but it's um, it was eye-opening because yeah. I could have rattled off the things that I would say were psychological problems there and it surprised yeah. me.
0: It's quite, it's quite easy, that isn't it? To to let something just overshadow everything, and, and actually talked about this on in the diagnostic overshadowing problem in LD especially, mm-hmm. and it's got you. When it ends of the day, we're just humans, right? And yeah, right. we, ha- we judge. We have pre-, pre perceptions of of thing, as you said, you only read the referral. And I've done yeah. the same. And we do it continuously every day, but we, you know, these experiences tends to just shove us on into a direction of, of, of experience and, and getting to, yeah, getting to be a better clinician, I think, but the bio stuff is, it's important as well, but sometimes we will neglect stuff and, and, uh, fail at like that.
1: When we, when do you feel like you had your, can you think of your first real dabble into trying to implement these? Or I guess what I'm asking is patients, I've heard this backlash of it's it's all in your head. That's something I've yeah. heard from colleagues or I've heard, overheard from patients saying back to their clinician. So you're telling me it's all in my head. Where mm. do you think this is being born out of? What do you think that narrative is that's been conceived? Well,
0: I think that, first of all, we need to remember that we have a society, I mean, I have a healthcare system that is built upon diagnosis. We spent a lot of years working through the, the idea that we'll, we will find everything. If there is mm-hmm. something, if you're in pain, we will find it. And if we don't find it, there is nothing. Mm -hmm. And, and, and of course, this belief, this understanding is also ingrained in society as a whole. Uh, And so when you, you present a, a theory that opposes or directly opposes that directly or indirectly, you will get the, the automatic response is, so you're telling me it is all in my head because we can't wrap the perceptions of reality doesn't inflag flag that as something to being combined. It's either or, right? The dualism perspective. So I think it's, it's just a natural response to being challenged and, and trying to make sense of what comes out of the healthcare per- person. And, and the only thing that clicks is what we understand from before. And from before we have, we can find anything, it's in your head. So that's, mm. I think it's just re- automatic response to that.
1: Yeah. A and, lack of a diagnostic label then in a the sense Yeah. people come with that expectation of they will receive their diagnosis and they will leave with an understanding of how it's going to get better or yeah, in some cases what you're going to do to make them better.
0: Yeah, exactly. And when it, and, and, and when you don't find that, and trying to mm-hmm. grasp, you know the bioosoical social model is, is just a, a, a method or, or just a, a schematic to try to grasp everything that's intertwined, right? Mm-hmm. So but as long as we have this perception in society that there is either a diagnosis or something mentally, Psychologically, yeah. well, the natural response will always be: "So you're telling me it's all in my head," and and of course it's it's basically down to us as well to try to change that and try to communicate that in a in a matter that doesn't comfort like that. But mm. oh my god, I used to used to uh, I worked in a um, long standing pain clinic in in um, connected to the hospital where I worked and i was responsible for the the uh, introduction you know lecture into <laughs> into how pain what is pain and everything and oh God. yeah exactly and you got this arrogant little cheeky north norwegian bugger standing there and telling those pain is multifactorial and everything and without fail there is like there was always like uh between 10 to 15 people with all type of of of, of long-standing pain and without fail somebody would would say be quite you know f- offended and say so you're telling us it's all in our heads mm-hmm. and it's, yeah it's without a challenge the- isn't
1: it i've had yeah. the same experiences we call it um pain management program so so i don't know if you call it the same thing and i would deliver these pain management programs but i would have no um no role unfortunately in the triage of who would come into these pain management programs so it was as much surprise to me um who was going to be in that group as it was to them as who was going to be delivering it and i would come in that morning and i would see i i can visualize the groups now i can see 80 year olds coming in who have Mm. got severe osteoarthritic knees, um, who are not suitable for arthroplasty. I've got women in their 20s who are diagnosed with fibromyalgia and hypermobility disorders. I've got your typical kind of chronic back pain presentation, and they're all landed in the same group environment. And you're expected to deliver this course, which is going to be a... I'm going to help all of you. And I was thinking, oh my word, there's going to be aspects of this course that are so not suitable for you, but are so suitable for them. And it was the biggest challenge of my career so far, because you feel like you're talking to some people in that group and you're delivering things where you know that they don't need to be hearing this, the biological influences on this lady who had this severe medial collapse in her knee, um, severe OA changes she didn't need to hear about the, her beliefs and her understanding cuz she knew her beliefs were right and i thought i'm with you i know what's what's contributing <laughs> to this whereas yeah. some of the others who were in the group they um they needed that kind of intervention they needed to know that their disc wasn't going to fly out across the room as soon as they yeah. started doing any sort of lumbar flexion but the that's one of the biggest biggest challenges i've ever had trying to deliver group interventions to different presentations i don't know whether you had the same kind of experiences but you get different are they kind enough to kind of group them for you into no no
0: no no, of course not (laughs) (laughs) the the only thing they try to avoid was people in an active insurance type of thing Mm. like that Mm -hmm. if you're in uh trying to get insurance or money back from a, a injury or something like that do like
1: a whiplash in. type injury type yeah. insurance claim yeah i've uh, that's something that does fascinate me because i think if you look at the literature for uh, insurance claims about that um i think it's 94 percent from the top of my head are from the party who was on the receiving end of that whiplash and mm. there's only six percent of people who have delivered the blow who are pursuing some sort of insurance and yeah. healthcare think, afterwards
0: yeah and we can see I could, you could probably theorize around it that it's the 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 external force being something being done to you yeah and we we're into this locus of control thing that mm-hmm. it's, it's something outside happening to me and, yeah. and this this kind of I have no control over it.
1: Yeah, and, and I, the thing that Ivo always liked to use the analogy of for that is the idea of threat, isn't it? So yeah. you're under threat, whereas you there's a sense of guilt if you're the one who's done it. But if you've ever been in a room where you've, um, where you've decided to let one off, do a little fart, that smell isn't too bad to you, but to somebody no. else when it violates <laughs> their space. <laughs> it is the most horrific thing. And the same for you. If you're sat there and you think what is that smell? It's exactly the same. It's the idea of threat and somebody has invaded your private space. It's always worse, isn't
0: it? It is, it is. It's a good analogy, actually. But but the funny thing about farts is if your body farts or or someone farts front of you and they always tell you, I farted and it smells really bad. And you have to go, (laughs) wait, you did? (laughs) (laughs) That couple, that second smell, just, oh yeah, you did. It's (laughs) nasty. But yeah. I think that sort of brings in some of those
1: principles, though. That almost introduces some of these psychological principles. Because like you've mentioned there, locus of control and this idea that it's that threat that is upon you as opposed to being the one who's in control of it. Um, I think analogies are super, super helpful when you're working with people with persistent pain problems. Because... Nobody is going to take any benefit, in my eyes, unless you're working with a pain scientist or somebody who's that way inclined. Nobody wants to know these mechanisms that we think exist. They don't want to sit no. there in a science lesson with you. They want real-world explanations and things that are simple to understand that a six-year-old
0: could understand. Yeah, but have you? Was- kind of sub, uh one of my points uh, when we talked earlier about the perception of reality and what these automatic responses all in my head kind of stuff is like you need to to incorporate it into something you can relate to mm-hmm. and you, you can can contextualize and so you can understand and i think this is why also why the the, the feeling of being locked up some things need to get unstuck because we we, we don't have we don't have eyes inside a body we can't see we can't visualize it but we can visualize something being stuck outside so we bring that perception into our understanding of our reality of our body and so i Mm. think that this stuff will always uh, exist and i forgot my next point have you ever had any sort of good
1: analogies that you use in clinic any little clinical pearls that you can that you
0: Not. use day-to-day or no, no, just give me that pain big, science big, big failure one. I, 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 um, I usually do this finding the balance thing, I, I, I control with, especially with standing pain, pain people and, and talking about, because you get, always get this story about, I do too much, then i can't do anything so i'm trying to find the balance of that i always uh, i use this uh, analogy of uh, using your mastercard your credit card and it's like you and you maxed out the credit card so you start to pay to pay the bills mm-hmm. uh, you, you know down you can't you can't do anything and then when you pay down the bills and you feel fine again you celebrate this by Go in and maxing out your credit card again. So that I use, and, and people quite understand that one. I haven't got a backlash on, on that, and they kind of relate to it. One I have been using, and I use frequently as well, is the, uh, you know, uh, two glasses of wine maybe feel good, but, you know, two bottles, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe a, a bad idea. And yeah. <laughs> this so thing has think, backfired. Yeah. You're
1: but thinking I of th- these around your kind of um around pacing type principle.
0: Yeah, then. pacing, yeah, exactly. But but the, the wine stuff, I I honestly I have got two people just reacting back to me and saying, But I don't drink wine.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'll take it take it so <laughs> literally, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I've always found some of the helpful ones that work for me when I'm trying to very gently start teasing in the idea that there's other factors that influence people's pain. Yeah. Are, just, a tip, things- you mean. <laughs> just the tip, just ease it in. Okay. Yep. But I would think if you think around the idea of like the concept of headaches, have you ever like sort of started discussing that with your patients? Where you start no, I introducing have- I think it's everyone's experienced headaches. Everyone knows that they hopefully they're not going to last for too long. It could be 24, 48 hours sometimes if they're really bad. But people come to terms with that these things get better and they are often able to recognise what might be triggers for it, whether that's really poor quality sleep the night before or lots of stress that's been going on or just generally feeling run down. The same goes for those little nasty things you get in your lip. Call it what do you call it in yeah. Norway? Coldslaw? Yeah, cold saw. Yeah, I often get that oh, well. confused with coleslaw. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thing you have with a jacket potato. But um, yeah, the idea that maybe when you're stressed and when you're really run down, yeah. something physical can manifest. And I've always yeah. found that's a really helpful way for people to start recognizing that maybe there's more to my pain. Then just somebody who then, I think it was Ben Cormack who said this on one of the courses that I did with him once, that with these psychosocial type things alongside the bio, you, you have to very gently try and open the door. There's no good trying to kick the door down and throw no. that your problem is due to stress. And I think I was very quick to latch onto that in my younger years and say to someone, how are things at home? Have you got any yeah. stress in your life? <laughs> there you are, you're putting them straight yeah. on the back foot. So yeah, that exactly. was a I again, like you're you
0: pushing and, and what people are feeling at that it's you're pushing them towards it being something psychological, you know, and, yeah. and back to the, the, the social the understanding of there's either an injury or there's it's all in my head. And uh I actually have a good uh good one for that because I find sometimes when I'm struggling to 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 I know there's a lot of stressors and and the patient the person in front of me uh, acknowledges there's a lot of stressors and and but they they're struggling to to see how this could af- affect them, like yeah. pain. and I, I used this like a last resort. I said, well, can stress? We know that stress can can a lot of stress can lead to to. A heart attack, and I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I understand that. It's you know, it, so why can't it affect anything else? Mm-hmm. And most of them go, ah, okay, okay. Yeah. So that's usually a, a last dive effort to 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 get into. But yeah. I've, I've I've stopped doing much of, of explaining pain now. I found. Uh, well, mostly because I fail miserably at it, and and we all get this this backfire effect. Yeah, on I
1: it. think it's very uh, easy to uh, it's easy to watch a video of Lorimer Mosley and oh, watch yeah. these sorts of videos on YouTube and think I can do that and go into clinic and absolutely crash and burn. So mm. I think the most impressive thing with someone like Lorimer is their people skills and their ability ability to to storytell i think if you can be a really good storyteller you get people to engage and i think it's the way that you deliver these things nobody wants to hear you in a monotone voice say have you ever had a paper cut paper cuts really hurt but there is not much damage there nobody cares (laughs) about that that's not relevant Nobody wants you to whip out a chart and show you a chart of the number of people who've got disc bulges and haven't got back pain. They don't care. It's not relevant. But I know that I have definitely tried to execute that. I've had the paper chronology. Used it. Nail in the boot guy. Yeah. Nail in the boot is a great story. But this all comes down to ability to provide the right sort of information for the right person it's not a one size fits all approach is it? And I'm sure no, we no, no. both, uh, and it tried and it,
0: the, it's- f- the funny thing at the it, beginning at the beginning when, you know, we started reading explain pain and everything about that and by so-called social model. And, and at first it really thought you had found the answers or some of yeah, the yeah. answers in a funny way when, yeah. when it really thought you thought you was that it, we haven't got any answers. It's complex. You kind of felt that you had and finally had answers, yeah. And uh, it's, it's quite a, uh, cra- yeah, it's a crash and burn stuff. I forgot my point there as well, didn't I? <laughs> Jesus, I suck at this.
1: <laughs> You're doing okay. Don't worry. <laughs> How did you but, find yeah. yourself going into working in a persistent pain environment? Was that a compulsory <laughs> rotation or?
2: yeah also on it, pa-
0: that- it was actually a uh, part of the rotation place that i i had what well, this the system at my university or in Norway is that you when you graduate you pick a number and the number tells you which place to, you can go to because they're okay. they they pull up all the places uh with the, you have to do community stuff you have to do hospital stuff and and they pull up uh areas that surrounding it like i got a little place called Sonishan where i can both do community and, and and the hospital and so what i did was i had a pretty shitty number so so me and my she's not my now my wife though but we went to where do we want to to live where do we want to go and you're just like this is number one this is number two and this is number three and then i just had to sit there in the classroom well Everyone that had a better number than me picked the good sweet spots,
2: yeah. and
0: well, either way, we moved to Sanz and uh, did my rotations and at the hospital the where the uh, longstanding pain group uh, cleaning stuff was was going on and, and so I was involved in that as well. And then when I finished up, I got a job offer from both the community service type and the hospital, and mm. I didn't want to work in the community service i want to do work at the hospital with long-standing pain stuff so i I went there and worked yeah so that's i was so super good that i got (laughs) job offers everywhere
1: (laughs) do you think what would your advice be as two people here have worked with that sort of population and there's lots of people who hate that sort of stuff and would avoid it with a passion do you think it's helpful for your development as a physio
0: yeah, I think so. I know I would, I would. I'm probably more suited now for that type of work than I was when I worked there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but I think there's a, there's a, a, definitely a lesson there to be learned when you, you're talking with people and you're working with people that is grabbing on and every lifeline they have, and you, you get all of this stuff, and you also f- fail miserably every day to provide care because just it's quite hard and and yeah yeah
1: it's super difficult i think i often used to think when i'd come home from work my hit rate as i'd like to think of in terms of people (laughs) that i got better my hit rate was low i was not getting much improvement with people but then i'd go into my private clinic in the evening and my hit rate's up a uh, 98% because they had an <laughs> ankle sprain that was going to get better or they had oh. an acute disc prolapse that was going to get better. They didn't have yeah. chronic whiplash of 30 years. So... Oh, I remember... I think uh, the... you... Sorry,
0: yeah, yeah, I remember exactly on that. I remember when I worked in the, uh, the clinic and I came home and I was like, every day I was like, why can't I get a, a simple shoulder pain? Mm, Anyone yeah. that just... <laughs> I don't know what I can do, with it. but uh,
1: yeah. I think I really think as a as a young physio in your career, you can very easily be given a false sense of confidence and go into things mm. like private practice very early, and you can maybe see a lot of these conditions which were likely to get better, and you're seeing a population who want to get better, and it can give ah. you this sort of sort of false sense that you are this unbeatable clinician and no matter what comes in, you'll get it better with a few calf raises, squats, quads yeah. exercises. Whereas I really think it can give a lot of people a good grounding. If you spend some time working in chronic pain, persistent yeah. pain, whatever we want to call it.
0: it. Yeah, d- definitely that that grounding sense. It's a hard lesson to learn though, because mm-hmm. you get grounded hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's I, all, I admire the people working with this a lot and 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 every day and the people that actually are success, successful, but yeah. damn it, you get grounded hard. Just it's <laughs> a good place to, to hone some skills
1: though. I would strongly encourage people who if, if they're avoiding yeah. it, I think it's important to go towards it because yeah. you can often these presentations, although it's always important to be vigilant of your red flags and acknowledge all these biological things at play it's an ideal opportunity to know that these have been screened a thousand times before. We don't need to be spending hours here on quarter Aquinas screening. If this is, let's work on some different skills as much as they're important. Practicing those other skills are a great opportunity in that setting.
0: Actually, I had a a story about how I came to sort of change my mindset and my understanding of that time is when I started working in my my current clinic and i actually had a a, a patient in that i had seen before in this clinic in in the long-standing hospital setting and she was not getting any better the, the whole, our whole project at the hospital was a complete failure and she was like yeah she was down and and, and everything and and she just Asked quite a simple question. So you like, have you seen people get better? No, chronic pain, long standing pain. And I said, yeah, yeah a couple. <laughs> <Of course> you, <laughs> see, you, see, you see, a couple, and 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 she asked, again what did they do? <laughs> what What did they do? They did. <laughs> yeah, they. they, 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 they Completely <laughs> now, good. and that was that was a perfect question because this person was just like she was coming to the end. She yeah. had tried everything and just failed at it, and I failed at my job at the hospital with this person, and now she she came back, and that that little question there gave me made me the opportunity to just say, first of all they've stopped trying to find a cure or a Mm -hmm. fix they're living Mm -hmm. with it they're Mm -hmm. not they're not trying to go out and and manage a hundred percent work they Mm -hmm. think about how much can i do and still function Uh, they accept that it is like this they try to socialize and they also say no more they do more from themselves they pace and, and they also include people around them about why you're saying no more. Yeah. And, and, and this lady just like went, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and she, I know, I, I see her now and then now, and, and she's back at work, she's functioning. She's trying to to see how the periods of where she trains a lot. And and so, but she still have pain, but she functions way better. And that, mm. but she, that's very rare, right? That's one no. person from, and I, what, I'm into this whole been imposing, imposing as a physio now for what, 10, 11 years. And so that's one person, mm. only one it's given me the opportunity to, to say those things straight up. Yeah,
1: yeah. and that's it's quite a ruthless approach, isn't it? But it's very succinct and accurate. And what we would do at the end of our, um, our pain management programs is, well, when you commence the pain management program, you'd have to get some sort of data. So we'd need something, uh-huh. and there'd be a million, an absolute plethora of questionnaires to fill in, all about how depressed they are and that's already putting people on the back foot. And then there'd be other pay uh, questionnaires about how much they catastrophize about pain and all sorts of things like this. And then we need a physical test. So we'd need them to walk uh, five meters from a chair, get up, walk around the chair, come back, sit down. So we had everyone in this group. We had the people with the OA knees. And then I really remember this lady who must've been early thirties, really pleasant lady, with some neck pain and she was thinking why on earth do they want to see how long it takes for me to walk up this chair and i said we've just got to do it and we got the data (laughs) and the whole way through the course she didn't say much she said very minimal but she kept turning up every week and we get dropouts on these sorts of courses when i worked that's just part and parcel and i was thinking. Why are you still coming? Why have you not decided that enough is enough with this? Because I felt like we weren't getting to her. I felt like she wasn't engaging. I felt like the content wasn't particularly relevant for her. I felt like there was other people dominating this group and talking more than her. And then when we got to the end of the course, we did the test again. She walked, she got up, she did it in the exact same amount of time as you'd expect. Then we do these little interviews and there was one lady on the course who I thought was the perfect candidate for that environment. And she said to me, waste of time. Didn't tell me <laughs> anything. I didn't, nothing that I didn't already know. Still got the pain in my back. And I was like, oh, damn. Then the next lady comes in, this 32-year-old, I think, with neck pain. And she was like, it's changed my life. And I was thinking, how? And she then she said to me, Someone told me to use a tens machine, and it's all gone away. <laughs> and I <was> like, oh, <laughs> <God."> <laughs> Nothing to do with my course. None of the content we were delivering. She's just sat there <laughs> getting zapped all day. <laughs> but if it works for you, it works for you. But they were. I don't. I'm not in a rush to go back to delivering those sorts of courses personally. But
0: no. If that's oh, your no, no. cup
1: of tea, then uh, let it be your. Yeah. Cup of
0: tea. Yeah, I've got my admiration, but man, I can only be grounded that hard once in yeah. life. <laughs> I, think.
1: I, think, I think the takeaway message from this is: if you get the opportunity, or if you're avoiding the opportunity to yeah. go down that route, just do it for a little bit. See what it's like. Yeah. Develop some skills there and
0: run with it. At least it's a, it's, a, it's a good play place to you know really grow. Your own mm-hmm. uh, depression,
1: I think. Yeah, you develop your own yeah. style, don't you? Your own technique. Yeah. And...
0: yeah. and then you, you probably <laughs> will experience uh, the death of empathy yeah. for a moment there. <laughs> and you'll realize how hard it is to actually talk with people. Yeah. And... You realize
1: what it means on a Sunday to have that Sunday dread. Then yeah. it'll really kick in. <laughs>
0: And then you'll sleep less and you'll eat more. Yeah. And you'll be and even you'll Yeah. Pain
1: in the back, <laughs> headaches, yeah. chronic migraines.
0: You'll be yeah. halfway there. <laughs> and suddenly the erection is gone. <laughs> no joy. You to,
1: you'll have to go to the emergency <laughs> department. That sounds quite a requirement, <laughs> to me.
0: <laughs> no, but it's in all seriousness, it's a good it's a good place, it's a good experience to have, I think. But yeah. oh man, this this topic is just quite big. It's too big for our. Uh, we haven't even got to to uh, to why you wanted to talk about it in the first place. Not think, yeah, yeah. You you got I, a story. S-
1: let's sign out with a uh, with a story that Lewis, one of the Twitter followers, sent in to me. I'll play yeah. it for you. And it it just kind of summarizes what we've been talking about. Yeah. Hi, mate. So. Yeah, back in the midst of COVID,
2: I was doing some work for a pain management service. Um, looking at looking at the notes before I spoke to the patient, long history of low back pain. Had actually been living in France at the time um, when she was first kind of assessed for her back. Um, they scanned her, no no real issues, disc bulges, age related changes, the norm. Um, but obviously still still got back pain and being referred through to the pain management service. So I thought, right, here we go, perfect time to choose everything that I've learned, put it into practice, Peter O'Sullivan-esque for 45 minutes to to an hour. Um, So, yeah, I had the chat with her. Her main concerns was obviously that biomedical approach that we often find in other countries. Um, She's going to end up being in a wheelchair, et cetera, et cetera. And because I wasn't seeing her in person, kind of couldn't, kind of offer that reassurance that you can get um, in person but I was trying to do my best over the telephone going into kind of the analogy with the fist and relaxing the muscles and trying to get things moving etc and fear is void and to model it um, all of that good stuff so I got to the end of the consultation 45 minutes I thought right, I think I've got this woman on board with things and um, booked her in for a review a couple weeks later sent her a few things across you know tame the beast a couple of P.O. Sullivan videos to kind of have a look at um, yeah all good and it was a Friday as well So anyway, for some unknown reason, I didn't send her the exercises that I wanted her to start trying as well um, at the time. So it was near the end of the day. So I think I went out, went for a run or something, came back and logged on on onto System 1 to send the exercises to get her email address. Um, I looked back through the notes and since I was basically straight after I spoke to her, she got in contact with her GP and basically said that the physio reckons it's all in my head and wanted a GP review (laughs) for my weekend
1: i think it's uh i think it's a good story it's a great story and i think a lot of people have maybe not directly been in that situation but i recognize that set of circumstances or reviewing the the gp notes or hearing i've heard my colleagues i know a patient has seen a colleague and then they come and see me and they say oh he's no good he told me it's all in my head (laughs) what has he said or what has she said for that to come across which
0: we oh, knew, yeah. Oh <laughs> Jesus, yeah. This, but what the hell happened to this episode, man? It's it's almost become a real podcast.
1: Yeah. It's, um, too, how long did you run for last week?
0: Uh about fifty minutes, I think.
1: Oh, really? Then I had to oh. shut
0: Ali up. He was talking yeah. too much. I- I've done
1: him by two minutes, then. So it's all about, uh, yeah, it's...
0: <laughs> it's all about the
1: length of time. He might have the height advantage, but I can go for longer. <laughs> right on okay. that note, I'm, okay. I'm gonna have some dinner.
0: Gonna have some dinner, all right. So when we are talking about length and girth and stuff, did you see the? To... I, I was in Brussels for a romantic weekend with my my wife. And we went to the uh, uh, the uh, this is the gay district because our, she has a foster brother and he has an older brother that's uh, uh, why can not I just uh, say gay and and mm-hmm. we went out. That is with, an accepted
1: uh, term, you know, Martin. Yeah, you can't it say is? that.
0: Okay. Yeah, thank we'll God. go with that. Yeah. And, and and we went out uh, drinking with him and his boyfriend and I quite enjoyed it. I enjoyed my night. I never had so many people give me the look and I've never mm-hmm. been touched that much before. So I was living the dream. I was like, I'll <laughs> take it. I'll take it. But either way, uh, it, the clock was beginning to, to tick a little bit and I, I went to the restroom and... You know I'm nothing to be ashamed about and that's okay. So I just pulled out my um, my li- little mini Martin and and uh, proceeded to do what I came there for. and this hunk of a man came up and and took the pissoir next to me. I was he was what a little bit taller than me, a little, you know, got that brown skin going on, that multte stuff, you know, tanned. Are you talking about me? Yeah, could have been you. But And he was dressed nice, you know, the magazine model type. Like Mm -hmm. when you first, when you see him, you're like, yeah, that's a good looking man. That's a good looking man. A real man. Yeah. And then, you know, after all this, I've taken in all this, he proceeds to pull out the hugest, the most massive piece of work. That was the biggest penis I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I, I was quite shocked and I was staring, you know, it was mm-hmm. so big that for a moment there, I was like going to ask him if he needed an extra hand to mm-hmm. just hold it. Just <laughs> I give me it's... a wibble of that. Just let me just wobble it around. And, but I didn't. So I finished up and I went outside and, and back to my wife. Well, shouting, I've seen the biggest penis ever mm. across the bar. <laughs> 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 I would not stop talking about this penis. So that was a reality check. I, would say.
1: I think yeah. that brings me back to one of my favorite sayings, that it's, uh, it's not about the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. I'm going to carry on living by that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I. You know, I've 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 lived in denial so long, and that the Brussels experience really just uh, shook me out of it. So, um, well,
1: uh, it's been a pleasure to finish on that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Very nice.
1: and I've held my coughs in. I've been yeah, not to cough you've for the been really
0: hour. good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there, there we you go. go. Get it out, man. Get it out. But again this topic i think we could probably keep on talking it for another hour or two and we'll probably get back to it in another episode and sounds good come come up with some more examples of how we failed the explain pain train uh but again this has been the Friday physio confession podcast and Thanks, mom, for listening. Thanks to my wife for listening, and <laughs> probably yeah. Matt's girlfriend. It Does my dog? Uh,
1: my dog's got it on Spotify. My dog listens to it while I'm out during the day. So yeah, we've got perfect, a few listeners.
0: We'll take it. We'll take it. It's another play. All right.
1: Have another. Have a good weekend,
0: also. <laughs> yeah, you as well, mate. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye, bye.